Hello and welcome Skywatchers. It's Steve Dunkley for another episode of Astronomy Daily for the 16th of the 10th, 2023. Yes, we're off to a flying start and would you welcome Hallie, our wonderful digital assistant. How are you, Hallie? Always great to be on board. How was your week? Oh, same as ever, although I did take time to catch a bit of the so-called Ring of Fire eclipse online. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Apparently uh, witnessed by millions of people across North America, a real heavenly show. Yes. Did you know that ancient Maya astronomers who tracked the movements of the sun and moon with precision referred to eclipses as a broken sun? No, I did not know that. Archaeologist Arturo Montero of Tepeyac University in Mexico City says they may have used dark volcanic glass to protect their eyes. Well, that gives a whole new meaning to Ray-Ban, doesn't it? Unlike a total solar eclipse, the moon doesn't completely cover the sun during a ring of fire eclipse. When the moon lines up between Earth and the sun, it leaves a bright, blazing border. And it has to be a perfect fit, and that's what it was this time. It looked pretty amazing. What else did your week hold for you? Well, I also watched the launch of Psyche. I love a good launch, and on this one is headed for Asteroid Psyche, which is apparently made of metal, but more about that later on. A metal asteroid. That's one for your collection. Yes, it's a unique specimen, that one, but it'll be a while before the probe gets to complete its actual mission. It's surprising how the mission planners have to play the long game and look years ahead of each mission. I see how a lot of people online really don't grasp the enormity of space. Yes, well, while I love my science fiction, I think we can blame Hollywood for that when we see spaceships jaunting across the galaxies in an instant and everything is tied up by the end of the movie nice and neat. Space is incomprehensibly more vast. Speaking of which, we did put out an invitation for our Skywatchers to post their photographs. Where can we do that, Hallie? Do that at Space Nuts Podcast Group on Facebook. And Skywatchers, that would be awesome. Now, Hallie, it's your turn. Shall I do some short takes now? Let's go, Hallie. What's news? Thanks. Here's the short takes from the Astronomy Daily Newsletter. NASA and its partners have fully secured the four RS-25 engines onto the core stage of the agency's SLS, Space Launch System, rocket for the Artemis II flight test. The core stage, and its engines, is the backbone of the SLS mega-rocket that will power the flight test, the first crewed mission to the moon under Artemis. Engineers have begun final integration testing at NASA's Michoud Assembly Facility in New Orleans, in preparation for acceptance ahead of shipment of the stage to Kennedy Space Center in Florida in the coming months. The 212-foot-tall core stage includes two massive liquid propellant tanks and four RS-25 engines at its base. For Artemis II, the core stage and its engines act as the powerhouse of the rocket, providing more than 2 million pounds of thrust for the first eight minutes of flight to send the crew of four astronauts inside NASA's Orion spacecraft on an approximately 10-day mission around the moon. NASA, Aerojet Rocketdyne, an L3 Harris Technologies company and the RS-25 engine's lead contractor, along with Boeing, the core stage lead contractor, secured the engines to the maze of propulsion and avionics systems within the core stage October 6. In the coming weeks, engineers will perform testing on the entire stage and its avionics and electrical systems, which act as the brains of the rocket to help control it during flight. 
Once testing of the stage is complete and the hardware passes its acceptance review, the core stage will be readied for shipping to Kennedy via the agency's Pegasus barge, based at Machude. And how about this Steve? All major hardware elements for the SLS rocket that will launch Artemis II are either complete or in progress. The major components for the rocket's two solid rocket boosters are at Kennedy. The rocket's two adapters, produced at Marshall, along with the rocket's upper stage, currently at lead contractor United Launch Alliance's facility in Florida near Kennedy, will be prepared for shipment in the spring. The European Space Agency is calling for visionary ideas for how to use a constellation of communication and navigation satellites around the moon to establish lunar businesses and unlock opportunities on Earth. Hundreds of missions to the moon are due to be launched in the coming years. To create a sustainable lunar link, ESA has initiated its Moonlight program to support space companies in Europe to create a constellation of lunar satellites. The satellites will offer communication and navigation services that could empower entrepreneurs to create innovative businesses for customers on the moon and on Earth. These businesses will create new jobs in Europe and around the world. Economic consultants have estimated that the total lunar revenue opportunities could be 4-0 billion over the next decade, rising to almost 1-6-0 billion up to 2040. For example, utility companies could use lunar connectivity to remotely manage power generation, storage, and distribution infrastructure on the moon. Mining companies could use lunar satellite positioning to accurately locate and extract water, oxygen, and hydrogen for life support and propellant, as well as mining material for building a lunar base. Data companies could use the satellites to communicate with secure data centers on the moon that store data in the cold conditions at the lunar poles. Entertainment companies could exploit the lunar environment for games, movies, and other leisure activities that use lunar positioning and data exchange between the moon and Earth. Having a long-term robotic or human presence on the moon could require innovative services that exploit moonlight's capabilities. The creation of such businesses could boost the lunar economy by using commercial opportunities on Earth, from new developments in agriculture and transport to life support systems and medicine on the moon. Today, the ESA has launched a competition for visionary business ideas that use lunar communication and navigation services to address customer needs on Earth and on the Moon. It hopes to offer one-year contracts to develop and assess the feasibility, viability, and demand by potential customers of the ideas. The best ones may be eligible to apply for follow-on opportunities. While Ship 26 started its engine testing campaign, SpaceX looks to be gearing up for a wet dress rehearsal, WDR, for Booster 9 and Ship 25. Related notices have been posted for the coming week, marking the imminent return to a full stack for the next Starship to launch as soon as November, pending regulatory approval. Within the last few weeks, SpaceX has stacked and detached Ship 25 off Booster 9. The restack and subsequent cleaning of the orbital launch pad appear to be focused on a photo op involving a Cybertruck towing a Raptor vacuum engine around Starbase. SpaceX then detacked and removed the hot stage ring to do more work on top of Booster 9's forward dome. A Marine Safety Information Bulletin, MSIB, was issued on October 13 for October 17. These have been used in the past for booster static fires and for the one wet dress rehearsal that SpaceX has completed. However, these bulletins haven't been issued for any of booster 9 static fires. 
This points to SpaceX possibly doing a WDR as early as October 17. A wet dress rehearsal is when a vehicle is run through its full countdown by fully loading it with propellants, which in this case would be liquid oxygen and liquid methane. During the countdown, SpaceX would ensure all systems work correctly right up to engine ignition, then detank. SpaceX has testing road closures scheduled for October 16, 17, 18, and 19, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. local time. If SpaceX is going to do a WDR, there will be an evacuation notice for Boca Chica Village, as it is inside the danger zone. After lots of internal work with the LR-11000 attached, SpaceX is ready to test Ship 26. On September 9, Ship 26 was loaded with propellant and then appeared to abort for what was believed to be a pre-burner test. While Ship 26 is not expected to fly, plans could change. SpaceX could use one of the road closures this upcoming week to test Ship 26 again. Ship 28 is still getting modifications and being outfitted for a static fire while sitting on the engine install stand SpaceX appears to be trying to finish all the internal work required for a static fire before they roll Ship 28 to the pad. A lot of work has been done on Ship 28's heat shield, pointing to SpaceX wanting to get this vehicle to survive re-entry if it gets there in its flight test. Ship 29 was rolled out to Massey's and has completed three cryogenic proof tests with the ship thrust ram stand. SpaceX does this to simulate the forces or raptors firing while the vehicle is experiencing cryogenic temperatures. Ship 29 was then rolled back to the rocket garden where it was placed onto a transport stand. Ship 30 has gotten both of its aft flaps and continues to be fitted out for cryo testing. Ship 31 has completed stacking operations and will now have its internals completed ahead of cryo operations. And SpaceX keeps building with Ship 32's nose cone being stacked on to its payload bay. SpaceX keeps getting increasingly more efficient with stacking ships. Ship 31 was stacked in just 33 days and only 47 days after Ship 30 had been completed. With a wet dress rehearsal coming up and maybe some testing for Ship 26 the second full stack launch of Starship feels closer and closer. And that's all from me. Back to you Steve. Wow, great to hear that Artemis 2 is coming along so well. It's exciting. And in addition to all of that news about SpaceX, I noticed that uh, boosters 9, 10 and 11 are getting work in Mega Bay 1 and there's some upgrades to the fire suppression systems. Among other things, there's lots going on. Looks like a real spaceship factory for sure. Just what you always wanted. Yes, my science fiction imagination is loving it. Astronomy Daily, the podcast with Steve Dunkley and Hallie. Now, if you're like me and you like a good launch, you would have noticed NASA's Psyche mission, which is deeply connected to MIT, and it aims to explore a metal-rich asteroid between Mars and Jupiter. It's believed to be the core of a primitive planet. MIT researchers play crucial roles in the mission's magnetic field and gravity studies. The spacecraft will be equipped with a magnetometer, cameras and a gamma ray and neutron spectrometer, all crucial to unveil the mysteries of the asteroid's composition and magnetic properties. 
For those that didn't see, the launch of Psyche is a van-sized spacecraft with wing-like solar panels, and it blasted off aboard a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket last Friday at 10.19 uh, Eastern Standard Time. Psyche's destination is a potato-shaped asteroid by the same name that orbits the Sun within the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Astronomers suspect that the uh, asteroid Psyche, which is about the size of Massachusetts, is made mostly of metal, and if that's the case, the asteroid could be ex the exposed core of an early infant planet that might hold clues as to how the Earth's own metal-rich core formed. It's a puzzle, and you have not only to figure out how the pieces fit together, but you have to figure out what the pieces are, says MIT research scientist Jody Bream, who helped in the magnetometer's design. After it launched from NASA's Kennedy Space Center, the Psyche mission embarked on a six-year interplanetary journey. In 2026, the spacecraft will approach Mars, where the planet's gravitational pull will slingshot the spacecraft out to the asteroid. The mission will arrive at Psyche sometime in 2029, where it will spend another 26 months orbiting the, and surveying the space rock, analyzing its surface composition, mapping its gravity, and measuring any magnetic field that it might have. The mission as a whole has a history that traces back to MIT. Sykes' principal investigator is MIT alumna and former professor Lindy Elkins Tanto, 87SM, 87PhD02, and now a professor at Arizona State University, while its deputy principal investigator is Benjamin Weiss, a MIT professor of planetary science. In her role as Mission PI, Elkins Tantor, who is also Vice President of the ASU Interplanetary Initiative, is leading a team of including longtime MIT colleagues on the first mission to a metal world. Being able to undertake fundamental exploration of a new kind of world is a thrill and a privilege beyond anything I had envisaged for my life, Elkins Tantor says, but the best part of it is helping to create and support a huge team of people who are all on this journey together. Scientists have hypothesized that Psyche may represent a case of planetary arrested development, while Earth and other rocky planets continued to accumulate material around their metal-rich cores some 4.5 billion years ago, Psyche may have met an untimely end, sustaining multiple collisions that blew off its rocky surface, leaving behind a naked metallic core. That core, scientists believe, could retain the elements that also formed Earth's centre. This will be the first time we've sent a mission to a body that's not mostly rock or ice, but metal, we says. Not only is this asteroid potentially a metal world, but asteroids are building blocks of planets, so Psyche could tell us something about how planets formed. To interpret whatever magnetic field the magnetometer does pick up from Psyche, the MIT team has developed a library of simulated magnetic field patterns. Space is filled with magnetic fields coming from planets, our own sun, and solar wind, says MIT research scientist Rona Oran. Our simulation library will allow us to examine different scenarios so that when we get to Psyche, we'll use those tools to derive the asteroid's actual real field. In fact, the team will have many chances to refine the library and their understanding of the magnetic fields around the spacecraft as it makes its way around the asteroid. Soon after Psyche launches, engineers will turn on the magnetometer, which will then continuously measure the magnetic fields around the spacecraft throughout the journey. 
This data will regularly downlink to JPL and be transmitted to two data processing centres at MIT where Iran, Weiss and the others will use the data to hone their understanding of what they might find around the asteroid itself. This is the first time our group has led a science investigation on a spacecraft, Weiss says. Once the mission launches, we're on the hot seat to run this. It's a big responsibility and also incredibly exciting. And that's it for another episode. There you go. I hope you'll join us again next week and look out for Tim on Friday, reporting in from Bath in England. Well, you'll be up there as usual, won't you, Hallie? I'll head over and join in, of course. So thank you for joining us and our regular reminder that you can find all the episodes of Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson, as well as current and back episodes of our podcast, Astronomy Daily with Tim Gibbs from the studio in Bath, England, and yours truly, Steve Dunkley from the Australian studio at this address, spacenuts.io or bytes.com, that's B-I-T-E-S-Z or Z.com. So head over there and click the links and enjoy your fill of space, science and stuff. But that's not all. While you're there, sign up and receive the Astronomy Daily Newsletter. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet of all the news that's orbital, astronomical and way out there. So closer to home, you can also drop into the Space Nuts Facebook group page and say hi. We'd love to hear from you. I know I would. Thanks again for joining us on Astronomy Daily. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Astronomy Daily, the podcast. With your host, Steve Dunkley.